This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. This is not a regular player, this is not a pretty good quarterback. This is an all time great. Is he? A strange bird off the field? He's a little nuts, I think. Okay? That's his deal. Is he really weird? Yeah. You don't have to hang out with him. You just have to put on your Jet jersey, go to the stadium, and watch him do his thing, which is move the Jets down the field and into the end zone, which is something you have not had in years. Subscribe to the Mike Francesa podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Mike Missanelli Podcast. This is episode number nine of the Mike Missanelli Podcast, course, sponsored by the great people at Bet Rivers. We're doing it on Thursday, October 13th, and that's the day after a very disappointing Phillies loss, which now ties the series at one as the series shifts to Philadelphia. There hasn't been playoff baseball in this town in 11 years, so it should be a wild Friday and Saturday of games, and uh, hopefully the Phillies can survive this series against the Braves, but they gave him a little life last night. Now, let's take you back to last night, and, and I'm watching the game along with everybody else, and I, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching a... Uh, Wheeler spin a gem. And I'm going, you know what? The longer this goes on, I mean, this guy is unhittable tonight. And frankly, so is Kyle Wright. I love pitching matchups like that. I know a lot of people don't like it. But it reminded me of watching Roy Halladay pitch against somebody. The the mastery of of pitching, to me, is fascinating to me, where guys just can't make a mistake, and they don't make a mistake, and their stuff is good enough against major league hitters to survive that long in a 0-0 tie. So I'm sitting here watching, I'm going, you know what? The Braves have to be squeezing the bats tighter here. The longer this game goes on, they've only got now a couple innings to get on the board because they can't go down 0-2. If they go down 0-2, losing both games at home, they are cooked. And this is a team that rallied to to win their division, and and they're expected maybe to get to the World Series. So I'm thinking the Phillies have them right where, where, where they want them here. The Phillies are kind of playing with house money. They're ahead in the series. Uh, and uh, when this goes on, the Braves can't score a run in front of their home crowds. Back grips get tighter. Blood cheeks start clenching. Desperation sets in. And then, poof. This is the beauty about baseball. A simple circumstance can change the dynamic of a game. And the simple circumstance last night was Acuna gets hit by a pitch. Now, Listen, Wheeler wasn't trying to hit him. He wasn't trying to send any message. Uh, he tried to run a fastball in, and he got him in the elbow, which I assume tweaked the funny bone. So uh, Acuna is now, he's hurt, and, and he's 
taking as long as he can, and the Braves are taking as long as he can. Naturally, they would because they don't want him out of the game, so they're trying to give him as much leeway as possible. So now this delay sets in, and when a delay sets in, it messes up the, the rhythm of the game, and especially for a pitcher. Because he's out there now, and he's got to wait, and he's got to wait, and he's got to wait, and he's not happy about the fact that he just put a guy on base. And and so all this stuff is weighing on his mind as the moment gets larger. Now, (laughs) Philly, I'm looking at Twitter during this whole time, and Philly fans are just screaming about this. I love Philly fans, but sometimes you're idiots. I mean, there's the guy, he's hurt, right? Like, if this happened to one of your players, would you be going, come on, let's get him off the field, or let's get him out of the game? Or No, you're going to milk the moment, too, because you want your player to play, and that's what happened last night in football. If a guy gets injured, what do they do? They just cart him off the field and, and continue the game? No, they give the guy the leeway to recover from whatever it is that that uh, is ailing him. So, finally, he gets his wits about him, and he goes to first base, but now... I think it throws Wheeler a little off course. Strange things start to happen when you have a dynamic like that. So what happens? He walks Dansby Swanson. So now with a guy in scoring position, anything can happen. You know, he'd been sailing along, no trouble at all. All of a sudden, he's got two on, and Matt Olsen's up, and he makes one kind of a mistake pitch where the ball is up a little bit. Olsen gets enough of his bat on the ball to hit a hard grounder which, of course, Reese Hoskins predictably doesn't smother. Why? Well, he's not good. He's not a good fielder. He's not an adroit fielder. So uh, I know Philly fans are just destroyed. About Reese. What's he doing out there? What's he doing out there? He's a 30-home run guy. Were you not going to play him? So, so you have to you know, suck it up there. He, it's a ball he should have smothered. He's not really good at it. And so the ball gets through. And all of a sudden, things start to happen. But if you let, let's go back to that play because a lot this a lot of people miss this. The ball gets to the outfield, gets to Castellano. All right, the one run scores. Um, Castellanos, for some reason, charges the ball and makes it an off balance in the air throw to the plate. I don't know, but the the play was underplayed a lot. He charged the ball. Why is he throwing the ball to home plate in the first place? Why? Second of all, why is he off balance, like making an in-air throw? Uh, and I'm going, well, you know what that does? That allows Dansby Swanson to get to third base. It's really it, like little things in a game like that will matter. And and Castellanos not going to get any blame at all. But I saw it. He 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 gorfed the play. He he came in and panicked, and he went up in the air, and he th- tried to throw an off-balance throw to home, which allows Swanson to get to third. Instead of getting your weight under you, setting your feet, and throwing the ball to third base. Maybe you get him out on that play, but he gets to third base. So at third base, what happens? Riley's chopper scores him. And this is the thing about baseball. One thing leads to another, which leads to another. And all of a sudden, the Braves, now they breathe a sigh of relief. And then there's a single up the middle that scores the third run, and all of a sudden the game's gone. But little things like that happen in baseball games, and and poof. So so now I, I'm I'm watching the game. I go, the Braves survived this game. They were really close to getting skunked in this series. Really close to losing at home twice, and and they weren't going to come back. They're not going to beat the Phillies three straight. Uh, and and all of a sudden something happens, and and they go. Wow, this is relief. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in Philadelphia. 
The Braves, I think, are the better team. And now they've kind of loosened up mentally a little bit. They're even. Um, they survived it. And now I think they should be a little looser. So, But that's the peril of one mistake leading to another, which leads to another. And uh, I looked at the Castellano play, and I said, ah, that helps. That helps the Braves. So, so there you go. All right, so uh, the Phillies uh, are still in a good position. And uh, it's going to be wild. Uh, 4.30 Friday game, 2 o'clock uh, Saturday game. Uh, Philly fans, I think, will show up en masse. Uh, I, I think that Friday becomes a must-win game for them. They, they should have the crowd on their side roaring. Uh, they have Aaron Nola going. Uh, so they, they have a little bit of an advantage in this game. But it was funny. I was looking at yesterday's game. And, and we're going to talk about the picks of the week later because we're sponsored by Bet Rivers. And uh, Bet Rivers has a great app. And I'm looking at the app yesterday before the game. I actually played a little golf yesterday. So I'm looking at the app. And uh, a friend of mine I'm playing golf with says, what, what, uh, who's favoring the game? I go, well, if, I would think at the, at the very worst, it's, it's even with Wheeler playing. Uh, and I look at the, the line. And it's Braves minus 140. And I go, how is that possible that the Braves are minus 140 against Zach Wheeler? I mean, I could see them being a favorite, maybe minus 120, 125. Minus 140 tells you the people in Vegas know what the hell they're doing. I mean, that's an unbelievable line. And you look at it and go, it's too easy to take Wheeler at minus 140. In fact, the opposite was true. So hopefully the Phillies win on Friday. And, and get, get past the Braves in this series. But uh, that was a tough one last night. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Mike Masnelli podcast, and uh, we always like to have some special guests from time to time. And uh, this is a big get. But it's tomorrow night, uh, and, uh, with the Phillies uh, playing their first home playoff game in 11 years. The man throwing out the first pitch is a man who, who has really carved out a niche in playoff lore in Phillies history. He's the flying Hawaiian. He joins us. Shay Victorino. What's up, Shay? What's up, Mike? Thanks for having me, man. Uh, my pleasure, man. First of all, uh, tomorrow is going to be like busting at the seams. Uh, you know how this ballpark gets. It's been a really long time since they've had a moment like this. So uh, you're, you're throwing at the first pitch, which is an appropriate choice, and we'll talk about uh, your connection to, to Philly playoff baseball. Uh, with nerves setting in already? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, I don't think I've been this nervous in a long time other than trying to hit a golf ball in front of, uh, you know, uh, you know, five people that I get to golf front of. But uh, yes, I am definitely uh, the nerves are kicking. I know what it means to that city. Uh, you know, as you talked about being someone who was able to experience it and live, you know, in one of the greatest eras in Phillies baseball history, uh, you know, and hopefully we have a second coming of that. But I mean, it, it, it is about as nervous as I can get. I can tell you right now. <laughs> Let me ask you, guys, like, you're, you're an ex-major league player. I don't know how much throwing you've done. But uh, before you throw out a first pitch, do you, you have to loosen up? Are you, are you afraid that you're not going to be loose in there? And so you go, you go somewhere in a bullpen or something or throw long toss? I'm definitely going to practice in the cage. Hopefully, I have access to that prior to the game and walking out there to, you know. Be, but again, as I said to some of my colleagues, you can't teach nerves. You can't teach anything that overcomes nerves. So, you know, that's the number of thing. Other than being and understanding how to calm my nerves in moments like this, you know, it'll obviously kick in for me. But I am definitely leading up to the moment because, as I said, it's about what it means to that city. It's about what it means to Philadelphia to be back in postseason, you know, baseball. Uh, it, 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 it is so fun to watch. 
And, and, and more importantly, because inside, it tickles me to understand the joy, the love, the laughter, the happiness, you know, that it brings to that amazing city of, of, of you know, and what it does in, in sports. I mean, as a whole for that place. Uh, let's look at the way this team has evolved to this point. The fans are on now, but they, they really took a while to really engage here. And, and it took that series over to Cardinals, and all of a sudden people are going, you know what? They're not bad. They got a shot here. They're, they're exciting. Uh, you've been following this whole whole season. Did did you get that sense that that people weren't turned on until like right now? Well, I mean, hey, it is what it is. I mean, I think that 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 I've always said that as an athlete, you know, you can only go out there to perform and do what you do every night. Uh, yes, in a place like Philadelphia, it's a whole lot different because of the media, because of the fan base, because of the way. You know, they love and how much passion they have for sports and and especially the game of baseball. So, you know, for me, it's, it's uh, you know, they definitely, I mean, I from afar sometimes, you know, looked at it and said, you know, wow, I think they have a lot more talent. But, you know, there's the tangibles, as I said, of, of believing in yourself. And I think they believed in themselves all year long. And, and you know, I got to see them and, and went down to the locker room opening night in, in Florida. I happened to be there in Miami. Uh, or near the area in Miami, so my son wanted to go to opening night, and I got to see some of the guys. So, you know, I saw the talent in the room. I saw that offense. I saw that high-powered, you know, numbers that were going to put up. But, you know, what I love about it is someone wrote an article about the underdog of the pitching staff and the two bulls at the front in Wheeler and Nola. You know, I always believe, and I wanted to comment so much on that guy's post, and I forget what it was, but it, it basically was saying how those two guys are some of the most un- underlooked at pitchers in, and, and as far as a pitching staff. So you look at that, and I think that's, you know, now winning one series will change it all for these guys, and that's what happened. I mean, people are really believing in what they have and taking game one in, in, in the NLCS, or in the NLDS, I should say. Uh, we're talking to Shane Victorino. Uh, now, Shane, we're doing this podcast on a Thursday. Obviously, it's the day after they lose last night in, in Atlanta. And, uh, you know, as a former player, I want you to, like, go through this mentality as a player watching this game. Because I'm looking at it going, the longer this game goes on, the tighter the Braves get. They're in a must-win situation. Wheel is cruising along. And late innings, they, they, they start squeezing the bat. They start, you know, getting desperate. We lose this game. We lose the series. And then all of a sudden, in a blink, the dynamic of the game changes with a hit-by-pitch. Well, uh, it, it's, you know, I've always believed in the philosophy of when we played. I always try to, you know, I hate to go back to when we played, but I love to share examples of, of, of moments where that happened. You know, I always use that like an error or a, start, a, lead, a lead-off walk in an inning where it sets the momentum for an identity of, of – I shouldn't say disaster, but it's just like that's that moment that we sh- you always say to yourself, okay, do not hit a guy or do not do this and X, Y, Z because it leads to these sort of tangibles and the next thing leads to the next thing. And that's what happened that inning. You know, Akuna gets drilled. That next thing happens. Base hit here. And then next you know, it's like, you know, people's all over Reese about him not making that play. And I'm saying to myself, like, it wasn't an easy routine play. I mean, there's so many things that are happening in that moment. I mean, the nerves, the the knowing that you're squeezing, that you have to make this play because, you know, there's this many outs that are left in a ball game. So, so many things drastically changed with one, as I said, I shouldn't say it's a mistake, but one simple thing that changes the dynamic of the game. And that's what happened last night. But hey, you go into the series, you take 1-1, you're going home for two, 
Philadelphia is going to be on their feet. No, no opposing player wants to come to Philadelphia right now and feel that energy and feel that that as an opposing player. So I think that's what the Philly fans hopefully will bring tomorrow night is that that energy, that excitement, and that love for that team because it's playoff time, and that will change that energy. Um, let's talk about the Acuna uh, reaction because a lot of Philly fans were upset by it. Uh, he took 97 probably in the funny bone. So it was probably going to take him a while to, to regenerate. But the longer that went on, it, it, it doesn't favor the pitcher, I'm guessing, right? Because he's got to stand out there. And even if you're a fielder out there, you're going, oh, man, this is not good. We're, you know, he's out of his sink. He's got, to, he's got to wait before he throws another pitch. This guy's milking it, whatever it is. What, what were you thinking when you saw that? Nothing. I mean, honestly, I've had a hit and hit me in the forearm like that in that area, and it's not fun. I mean, it takes you some time. I just, you know, I look at that happened to me in 13 in the in the NL uh, DS. I got hit seven times that series, and one of them was basically a 94 same out pitch up and in. It hit me in that area, and it took me it took me less than it took Acuna. I tell you that much to get to first base. But I'm not saying that. You know, for me, it's like you know he got hit. I mean, you think anybody? What I always try to tell fans and anybody in that moment is like, okay, picture yourself getting hit with 97 in the middle of your forearm. No matter who you are, no matter if you're Ronald Acuna, no matter if you're Bryce Harper, no matter if you're the, the strongest human being that you can possibly put on the, the, the planet Earth, you're getting hit by an object, a solid object at that velocity. It's going to take you time. And for him, it probably was a matter of do I stay in or do I not stay in? I don't think he was sitting there going, oh, let me take two minutes or let me take five minutes to to slow the momentum down. I, I, I doubt that was the last thing that was going through his mind. And knowing for myself, that was the last thing that was going through my mind when I got drilled with a pitch. But does I mean, it affect the pitcher? Do you, do you think I, it affected him, I, the delay? I, I, listen, I'm not going to sit here and look for an excuse of what happened to the end and the results of the game, other than it happened. I'm not sitting there, as I said, as an opposing player going, oh, I'm going to take five minutes to slow the momentum down in the game. Maybe it did. I, I, I don't know. You're right. The, the momentum seemed to have shifted after his little, you know, uh, uh, trying to get back up on his feet and taking a lot longer than it usually does. But, I mean, we're adults. We're grown men. We're professionals. You know, we, we, we sit in other moments like that when a duck's on the field or a, a guy runs on the field. So, you know, to, to really nitpick at a moment like that, Mike, I think sometimes as a player, I sit as a former player, like, let's – Look beyond that. Let's look yeah. at what was, you know, what other things kind of happened throughout from there on. And then we'll go from there. As I said, the yeah. positive thing for me, they're 1-1. They come home. It's exciting time. You know, that place is going to be on their feet. And that's what it's about. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's like you know, when, when I ask people when a football player gets hurt, are they going to try to rush them? Like, are they going to rush them <laughs> off the field? Gonna, you know, if anybody gets hurt, you got you to play out the injury. It got hurt. Uh, all right, so let's, let's go back in time because you're throwing out the first pitch tomorrow night on a, on a day, 4, 450, uh, 4.30 game where it's going to be electric. And, um, and you obviously forged one of the great moments in playoff history. And uh, so, so here it is against Milwaukee and second inning, and it's CC Sabathia, and you hit the grand slam, and it's like uh, uh, a moment that people will recall forever. So let me take you back to that moment. And what you're feeling at that particular time, the excitement is at an all-time high. CeCe's Bathy is an incredibly tough left-handed pitcher coming at you. What are you thinking in that moment? What are you looking for? Well, I, I had, I think my earlier bat, if I'm not mistaken, I think I faced him once that game before, and I hit a double off the first 
base, I, or third base, I think, that game, if I'm not mistaken. I, I mean, I try to look back on that moment, but I, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was my second at bat against him. And I remember what I told myself was, again, and simply in, in those moments, I always told myself, do your best. You're up against someone that's immortal. I mean, someone that you basically, and, and, and Mike, I always put it this way, in the game itself, as a hitter, the odds aren't on my side. But if I know that I can, you know, basically navigate through the process of what could be happening and what can be happening and slowing down the moment and tell yourself, do your best. That's all you can do. Base hit, look for it, put the ball in play. There's so many tangible shame with the bases loaded. If you put the ball in play, one run can be scored. I had no interest in going up there. Oh, I'm going to take CCD. You know, the guy was basically so. And, and, and as I said, Mike, across my career, that's in those kind of moments, that's what I was able to do was tell myself, slow everything down. The rest of the world is, is, is on their feet. The energy's at an ultimate. If you don't slow down, you're going to have no chance to, to, to go through and back. So I found a way to slow myself down. And as I said, I remember telling myself, okay, figure out, look fastball early. Look fastball. And he kept bounding me with fastballs, pounding me with fastballs. And then I said to myself, stay fastball, stay fastball. He's probably going to go up and up, up, upstairs here because I think it's two strikes on me. He's probably going to want to elevate one and then maybe come to an all-speed pitch. But lo and behold, he flipped one up there that I was able to recognize. And honestly, Mike, I just remember recognizing the pitch, swinging, hitting it, and then everything else became a blur. You know, it was almost that moment where you see yourself blacked out as an athlete, like, the energy became such a buildup. The, the, the running around the bases felt like I was floating on cloud nine. Like there's no way that this moment and these are the kind of moments that defy, you know, a playoff run or, or a moment where, as I said, CC was 11 and one. That guy was the greatest and he, you know, he was on his way to winning a Cy Young. I mean, the guy was unhittable. And to have that momentum shift happen, it, it's it's definitely something, as I said, it was something I will, I mean, I don't know how to duplicate a memory like that. Yes, I did it twice. Don't get me wrong. But to make it that first moment and to know that, 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 that you've put yourself in, in, in playoff moments with a grand slam like that. I mean, as I said, I think I blacked out. I felt like I was on cloud lag. I, I do remember that my father had flown in and he was in the stands in our seats. And if you watch the grass slam when I get to home plate and I shake my teammates and after I'm done, I point to the stands. And that was because my father was there and he had flown in from Maui uh, to come and watch. So, you know, those are the kind of moments, Mike, that makes these kind of things so bad. It wasn't just about me. It was about living it with my family. Don't love the, the, the fans of Philadelphia to, 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 to know that that memory will be forever embedded in their mind. I mean, it's, it's very humbling. What's, what's great about the swing, and, and I know – as a, as a former baseball player myself, when you hit a ball hard, you don't even feel it. It's so solid. And, uh, but guys today, when they hit one, they know they got it, and, and you see what they do. I remember you just darting towards the first base. Because I didn't think when, I got it, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely didn't think I got I knew I hit it good, but I was like, okay, just get out to left field and you know, maybe make it a double. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Well, you, it, that's it. I mean, that blow busted them up. It was clear to see that that busted up the Brewers, and of course, that that starts the the whole thing. And um, you, you know, as as the series goes on, then you had this moment with uh, Roki Kuroda with the Dodgers. I mean, this, this was your this was your series, man. 
Man, you know, <laughs> point in the head. I loved it. I just watched that replay. I was showing my son and his team the other day. You know, I was like, here, I want to show you guys at home because these kids are 12. You know, when I was playing, they were just very little. They didn't know what was going on. So I showed them that clip because someone had sent it to me. And literally, I, I, I want to forward you guys. I will forward you that clip so you can watch it and you can tell from this angle that this ball was literally. So when I was pointing at the anger that I had, you know, hey, it was anger because I was like, hey, you sent me the ribs, man. So, I, I, as I said, Mike, I'm excited for tomorrow night. I mean, it, 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 I couldn't be more excited for Philly baseball. And more importantly, the, the, the city of Philadelphia, you know, with the Eagles and what is going on there and the change that has happened there. And, you know, it's just so fun because I know what it was like as an athlete driving around, living in that city for eight plus years. You know, being being those winning teams, I mean, it's there's no greater feeling. So, I mean, I'm almost nervous because I don't want to feel that energy again, you know, that these fans will bring and, and that city will have. I mean, I'm sure they're itching and waiting for them to arrive from Atlanta today to greet them home with that, you know, that hero's welcoming. So I, I, I'm excited again, as I said, to be back in that city of Philadelphia to watch, you know, a wonderful weekend of Philly sports. And as I said, more importantly, super humble that it's going to be me throwing out that first pitch tomorrow night. Uh, you know, one of the things about that Corona thing that endears you to Philadelphia fans is that you were so into it. Like that <laughs> moment you're in, it. like a lot of baseball players are cool, step out. They don't want to show that, uh, you know, some guy dusted them or whatever. And, and you were just so into it. You were just like, pointing point at your head. It's like crazy. Well, that's what happened when you play in a city like Philadelphia. It definitely brings it out in you. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, now, let's just quickly, you know, it, that era of baseball was just, we got spoiled by it. And, uh, you know, when you guys were just blended so well and, and Charlie knew exactly how to let you guys be. And like the essence of a manager is a, is a guy that allows his players to be comfortable every day to, to do what they do. And that's what I saw uh, with that whole era, which made 2009 so, and then uh, you know, 2011 later so disappointing. When you look back, do, do you think you, sh you regret not winning more? Oh, absolutely. I mean, let's not be, if you want to be honest, you know, we did lose one in 09 to a team that I still, you know, sometimes, you know, as, as, as the process of what has happened, you know, to some of those players, you know, I sit there and question, like, unfortunately, we were that team that, you know, played them and, you know, I'm sure some of them were, you know, doing some things that, you know, we lost then. So that was one. 11, I think we were the best team in baseball, hands down. You know, but unfortunately, the game of baseball and how it dictates itself, we ran into a hot team in, in the St. Louis Cardinals that, you know, went on to who went on to be the World Series champion that year. So, you know, and this is what today and fast forwarding to what makes modern era of baseball and the way it's structured. I mean, again, you got a team like the Phillies, last place, you know, wild card or last team to get in as a wild card. Now they're going up against one of the better teams in the NL East, you know, and, and, and who they played all year long. And they got a chance. I mean, they're 1-1. So... I think, you know, you look back on, on, on the way the game was then and the way the game was now, it's structured definitely. Uh, but ultimately, there was definitely, uh, you know, looking back on our era uh, and, and those series. <laughs> I mean, there was definitely, I think to myself, one or two years that I wish I could have a couple more rings. Instead of having two, I wish I had three or four. Yeah, uh, and, and I think all athletes that feel the same way when, when an opportunity comes and they, they just missed it. But you, know, you got, I mean, it was such a great blend of players. And I'm just curious from your standpoint, who were the, who were the, the teammates that you enjoyed the most playing with? Because, you know, baseball is a tough sport, man. You travel together. There's a lot of, like, in-house politics. And, and 
it's it's not easy to to be a team for that long of a season. So, uh, who were the guys that stood out to you that you just couldn't wait to get to the ballpark and see and play play with? Shit, like to be honest with you, every guy on those teams, and that's what you said. You know, those teams were built on one part, and that was character. You know, when they came there, it wasn't about me; it was about the rest of us and how we could mesh and blend and to be the greatest team, not just you know individual players. Yes, individual players going out there. I mean, you know, for me, the probably the number one guy out of all and true my career was probably Jimmy Rollins. You know, he was a big brother to me, uh, you know, but I put a Howard a close second. I put Hamels a close second. I put, you know, Utley, Worth. I mean, I, as I said, you can keep going all and all of Burrow, you know, early on in my career helping me. And, you know, as I said, you continue to process and you look across the board and then flipping to other teams that I played on. You know, I was very blessed to play on teams that, you know, had great, great chemistry. Uh, you know, some we didn't go as far as we wanted to, but... It, you know, I look back on my 12 plus year career and I say to myself, man, I was lucky. There wasn't, you know, teammates or where I said, I hate coming to the field every day. I don't want to see this dude, you know, just get him out of here, trade him. Like I, I, there wasn't there wasn't teams like that. And especially there in Philadelphia, like we were brothers. I mean, we were we were about, you know, one another. Like we would pour our blood, sweat and tears out for the next guy. Like it just what it was. And, you know, it wasn't just on the field. You look at all the off the field stuff that we did charitably through, through, through those era. I mean, through that era with, you know, Utley, Howard, Rollins, Hamels. I mean, you know, continuously foundation efforts that guys gave back to that community. So to me, that's what made these teams great. It wasn't just what we did on the field. It's the brotherhood that we created off the field and the family atmosphere. You know, and still to this day, watching our kids grow up and, you know, all of us still staying in contact and, you know, every once in a while and checking in on one another. I mean, we're definitely... You know, the city of Philadelphia, we were, uh, the organization was blessed to have us all in the same room together. But a lot of credit goes to the room that put us, to, you know, in, 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 together with the ownership group in Philadelphia, and, you know, the, that front office during our era. Um, <laughs> the, the, I, I know you can recall like a thousand funny moments in relationships with players and little schemes. But uh, I, I remember uh, after you guys had won the World Series, and I, I'm in the locker room and... Uh, Brett Myers is walking around with pear moonshine. <laughs> like that celebration when you guys had to beat Tampa Bay was one of the wildest scenes I've ever seen in that clubhouse. <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you remember about it? I just remember it was that moment where it was is what you saw your whole life, and, and and people popping bottles of champagne, and you know people just having a blast with with with, with what a celebration brings. I that's the only thing is I remember telling myself like, yes, those celebrations that we had leading up to it in the DS and the CS and, you know, were great. But that moment where you're actually like, we've done it. And, and it was so chaotic. And I, I was just looking at a picture earlier of Utley spraying the champagne at the back, the back of my head from like a foot away. And I'm like, dude, that couldn't have felt great. But I don't remember it. You know, I don't remember any bit of the pain. I don't remember. I'm not a drinker. So I hate the smell of it. I hate you know, I hate all of it. So like having it poured on me and burning in your eyes and, you know, all your little wounds that you have on your body and this alcohol is just basically coming down on you. And it's it's like you said, it's it's pandemonium. It's absolutely mayhem, but it's mayhem to the greatest, you know, greatest feeling in the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Utley, who <laughs> was this stoic guy is skulking around. He's got like five cans of beer in his pocket. <laughs> Like skulking around, like uh, it, was, it was right, uh, and, and you know, that pair moonshot. He's offering it to like it looked like poison. 
You know, like, who's going to take a sip of that pair of moonshine, Brett Meyer? Uh, I'm sure too many of us did, and that probably was a problem. <laughs> oh, man. All right, last question, Shane. Uh, listen, your story is amazing. I mean, a guy from Hawaii, great athlete, track star, all that stuff, and, uh, and a Rule 5 guy in baseball, and all of a sudden you, you forge a really long career. When you look back at it, what do you feel about yourself? Man, to be honest, Mike, hard work, work ethic, respect for what you do. I think that's what, you know, was always my key. It wasn't any bigger than that. I believed in myself. You know, a lot of the people didn't believe in a kid that grew up in Maui, you know, because no one's ever done it. Five, nine, 150 pounds, you know, having people say all your life, you're too small. You know, but I always, as I said, having the right root, having the great upbringing that I have, having a loving family, getting opportunities, I think was another part of this. Is, and But, you know, work ethic and respect and never giving up on a dream, you know, was, was what helped me achieve what I was able to do in my career. And, you know, I look back on it, as I said, it's humbling. It's an honor uh, because I know what a city of, you know, city of Philadelphia and what it's like to be an athlete there. You know, they don't put many athletes you know, in, in certain categories to be able to come back and throw out a first pitch and be honored for something that you've done. So, you know, for me, I know that I think the way I played the game, the respect I had for the game, uh, the love I had for that city is probably why I'm, you know, be, will be there tomorrow night throwing out that first pitch. But I think those are the little things in life that I hope people can take away from the way I played the game was that, you know, with work ethic, respect for the game and hard work, anything can happen. That's awesome. Uh, listen, man, good luck tomorrow uh, with, the, with the cross. You know, it's funny because sometimes when you don't throw for a while, your arm atrophies, right? So get, get it, get hey, it loose, hey, man. Stop, long, stop long. trying to build up the nerves, man. I don't need you building you know, up my saying, nerves even more. I mean, when you get to the park, get some long toss in. Break down those adhesions. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever you know, it takes. I just don't want anything. I want to aim high. I'm hopefully not bouncing in the dirt. Uh, All right, man. Thanks, guys. We'll look forward to seeing you. Thanks, right, buddy. Mike, appreciate it. Have a great one. Take care. All right. Of course, it's Eagles-Dallas week. Now, the Phillies uh, have kind of put the Eagles-Dallas week on the, on the back burner here, which is good because we got another sport to think about. But uh, let's think about this because uh, the Eagles are 5-0. and The Cowboys are 4-1. Now, this is a game when people were looking at the schedule. They were looking at games. Well, it's, it's too good to be true with the Eagles uh, here. So there's two got tough games coming up, two tougher games. One's Arizona. They dispatched them. And now here comes the big one on Sunday Night Football. Uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. The Eagles are a six-point favorite in this game. And if you play the lines like I do, that's a, a total Eagles line. Uh, so, and so let's examine why that could be. Uh, I don't think people still are believing in Cooper Rush. Um, but it, it, this is going to be like, it's going to come down to two different things here. Number one is the Eagles offensive line banged up too much to withstand the heat that they're going to get from Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. To me, that's the key. You're going to throw Jack Driscoll out there at left tackle again. Can he handle Micah Parsons, and can they handle Demarcus Lawrence? That, to me, the, the whole thing comes down to that. Uh, also, um, interesting uh, matchups against the wide receivers in this game. you got a couple of really good cornerbacks for Dallas. Uh, Trayvon Diggs is out there. Will Trayvon Diggs be able to handle A.J. Brown in this game? Now, Cooper Rush, he's 5-0 and as a starter. I, listen, I laugh. I, I'm not going to get involved in this Cooper Rush. All of a sudden, the journeyman's a good quarterback. But he doesn't have an interception this year. And so what the Dallas Cowboys have done offensively, they've played into his strengths. They run the football, 
and they, and then they get him in situations where he can complete passes. So um, for the at Dallas Cowboys to win this game, Pollard and Elliott must be effective because the Eagles' front has been pretty stoic against them. Um, and, and here's the other thing: against Cooper Rush, will Jonathan Gannon be more aggressive? He hasn't been aggressive. Blitz-wise, he's had some well-timed blitzes in there. Last week, I think he was scared to death on what Kyler Murray could do if the blitz didn't get home. Uh, and now here's kind of a, an immobile quarterback. So uh, I would think that they would be a little more aggressive in blitzing Cooper Rush in this game. Uh, Dallas, they get after the quarterback a lot. This really hasn't bothered Jalen Hurts this year so far. But the Cowboys have a 36.6 pressure rate. That's pretty good. That's one of the tops in the league. They average four sacks per game. Now, they're not, they're not that great against the, the, the run, uh, the Cowboys, but they've only allowed one rushing TD. So uh, we'll see what happens here. No team so far has scored more than 19 points against the Cowboys. They're averaging 14.4 points against, by the way, which is pretty good. And they were impressive last week over the Rams. They're 2-0 on the road. So we'll see what happens. It's a make-or-break game for the Eagles. They're a six-point favorite, which comforts me. If they can win this game, they clearly, in my opinion, can go double-digit and O. And so this is a monster, a monster game uh, for the Eagles, which has kind of been uh, kind of swept under the carpet because of the Phillies fanfare we have. All right. Um, let's go to the picks of the week. Last week, I gave you three selections as picks of the week. I was two and one last week. I've been sizzling on college. Here's my philosophy. College games are a lot easier to pick than pro games. Because you can see a disparity in the lines, and, and it indicates to you what side you should go with. And I did that last week, and I cashed a couple of those. I, I did lose my program, which was the Dolphins and the Jets, but I did cash on both my college plays last week. So let, let's go with the same theory. I follow the Miss Elliott lines telling me theory. Let's start out with Oklahoma. I took the side against Oklahoma last week. I took Texas because the line was telling me to go Texas, and they blasted Oklahoma. So the Sooners are coming off a really bad loss, getting hammered by Texas last week. The darling team in college football, the darling football program, has become the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, they lost last week. They're going to come down to earth. But everybody's talking about how they resuscitated their program. So um, Oklahoma is at Kansas this week. The line started out at 7.5. It's now up to 9. So Oklahoma got trashed by Texas last week. They come in as a nine-point favorite against the darling Kansas Jayhawks. That tells me one thing. Take the Sooners. I will take Oklahoma minus the Mike, nine. I'll give you a note on that. The Minnesota Golden Gophers. You know Darren, what do you got Kansas, on that? They're starting quarterback out for the season. Backups in. Okay. All right, so that's probably why the line went up. But the, the backup came in and did an okay job. So uh, I'll take Oklahoma. Oklahoma stinks. And here they are as a nine-point favorite in this game. Minnesota Golden Gophers. Last week, they were off to a hot start. They got derailed last week. They got shackled last week, coming off a bad loss. They go to Illinois this week. The line started at Minnesota minus one. It is now Minnesota minus six and a half at Illinois. There are my two college plays. I'm going to give you three this week. And I'm going to go to the NFL because I cannot believe 
that the New York Giants are for real. There's too much fanfare for this team. This is a mediocre team. I get it. They're four and one. Um, they host the Ravens. Uh, the line is going up. Ravens minus three and a half to minus six at the Giants. I'll take the Ravens to cover that by a touchdown. So there are my three picks. Oklahoma minus nine. It's Kansas. Minnesota minus six and a half at Illinois. And the Ravens minus six at the Giants. All right. That voice you heard uh, a second ago is producer uh, Darren. I call him the voice in the wilderness. He's with us all the time in these podcasts. He just lurks in the background. So, uh, so Darren, you, you heard uh, the show so far. Uh, I always like to get your, uh, your evaluation on the, the, the nonsense that I sometimes spew. Uh, so, so far, what's your take on this particular podcast? <laughs> this particular podcast, I think, is great. It was, first of all, when you have a guy like Shane Victorino come on, who is a Philadelphia treasure, I think that is a huge um, discussion to have, particularly when he's coming back into Philly for so long. Uh, he clearly, what really stuck out to me, and he said this to us before we were recording, how nervous he was about tonight. He goes, you can't coach nerves about when we're talking about throwing out the first ball tonight. That really stuck with me. I thought about that all day. And for him, I got think about this. And you talked about it, like He's hit grand slams in the post, multiple in the postseason. He's been on the biggest of stages. He's been in the locker rooms with the champagne. on. He's handled everything. He's seen everything. The fact that the Philadelphia energy makes him that nervous to come back to throw simply a, a, a ball, you know, what is it, 66 and a half feet, whatever it is, 70 feet, for him to just lob a ball. 60 feet, 60, 60, feet, 60, 60 feet, 6 inches, Mr. Baseball. 6 inches, all right. So for him to just for – for just that to make him that nervous tells you all you need to know about what this town means to him. And uh, as far as – um, the rest of the show, I think people enjoy hearing about your nonsense life on top of, you know, what you have to say about the Phillies and Eagles. So those are the types of things. Those are the types of input right. I get back from people. Mike's nonsense life. There you go. <laughs> uh, all right. So, so this is great. I love uh... – like you're not a baseball man. You're more of a football man than a baseball. Well, man. my background and career well, went the football way. I love baseball yeah, but, as a, as a love, but my knowledge rests. But but you're watching the game last night. You did not think at all about that casting. No, I did play, because did. I had the same thing in a game I coached for softball two hours before, where I was yelling at my girls not to throw home, to throw to the pitcher, to get the ball into the circle. To kill the play. And then Castellanos does the same goddamn thing in the majors two hours later. Yeah. So, yes, I did see that. Well, nobody really said anything about it. I, I, it was on the screen for just a split second, but I noticed it right away. What's he doing with that throw? And uh, so, uh, okay. But that's just the difference in like how I look at the bait. I'm, I'm like almost too plugged into the chess match of a baseball game. But I thought that was a really important moment. All right, uh, Darren, we like to do a little thing here called random thoughts. I have a lot of random thoughts uh, during the week. So let, let's start with random thoughts. Let's start with the New York Yankees, the first game of their series against the Guardians. Uh, Josh Donaldson uh, hits a ball to right field and goes into the trot. He goes to the trot. The problem with the trot in that situation is the ball 
hits the top of the wall, the padded wall, and bounces back towards the field. Now, as this is transpiring, this idiot, of course, still thinks it's a home run because he's not watching the ball, but that's not what I focused on. The first base coach is slapping hands with him as he's coming around first base because they both think it's a home run. Now, what is the first base coach's responsibility? Watch the freaking play. He's not the first base coach is guilty of malpractice. He's slapping five with a guy who thinks it's a home run going into the trot and the ball hits the wall and bounces back and neither of these nitwits know it. So I did a little research. So Travis Chapman, I go, who in the hell is this guy who coaches first base for the New York Yankees? Travis Chapman played exactly one game in the major leagues. He's like Moonlight Graham from Field of Dreams. He played one game. Guess who it was with? The Phillies. He played one game with the Phillies. He was a drafted player in the 17th round out of some college. And I guess he spent most of his time at AAA and was a September call-up and played three innings at third base for the Phillies in 2003 when they absolutely sucked. <laughs> so he's the first base coach. Now, nobody would dig into that kind of information, right? If I'm if I'm the man if I'm Aaron Boone, I go, dude, the hell are you doing? You're complicit in this guy's fake trot, slapping hands with him. All right, that's random thought number one. Random thought number two is uh, Devontae Adams and uh, what he did in the Raiders in frustration, I assume. But uh, people are asking me, what, Mike, what do you think of Devontae Adams? Because you can't charge the misdemeanor assault. Uh, what happened is the, the disappointing loss. He's coming off the field, and uh, a cameraman, a young cameraman, uh, it doesn't you know doesn't know that he's in his way. He's just got the camera and he's following somebody, and it, it steps right in Devontae Adams' way, and Devontae pushes him down, bang, pushes him down, and, and the kid kind of gets hurt. The people go, well, "What do you think of that, Mike?" And what am I supposed to think? It's an assault. You just can't go assaulting people like that. I understand you're an athlete and you're frustrated. It's a misdemeanor assault. Am I supposed to look at Devontae Adams and go, oh, poor Devontae, they're picking on him. That wasn't a big deal. Darren, your thoughts? I've been around a lot of NFL players. I worked for a long time in NFL films. Um, you got to keep your cool head. I don't care how bad the loss is. You're the one. You're the one making millions. That kid who was probably a freelance photographer getting paid for about six hours of work. Um you know, whether he stepped in front of him, shouldn't have stepped in him or not, Devontae, who is maybe the third or fourth highest paid player in the league now, he's got to show Coolerhead. Coolerhead's got to prevail for him. And that's, you know, I don't I, hear you hear my, my beef with the people that always look at it like, oh, the poor athlete's getting picked on. That wasn't a big deal. <laughs> yes, it was. It was an assault. And you can't do it. So, you know, uh, no one's yeah, ever going to uh, take uh, at, at, at the end of the day, no one's ever going to take the side of the guy who's making millions versus the guy no. who's scraping. No, the poor athlete. Yeah. yeah, it's the, it's the poor athlete. Dude, he did what he did. I mean, let's face it. But he apologized, Mike. Who cares about the apology? Is the apology going to take away that the, the kid got thumped to the ground and got banged up? No, nothing. All right. That's uh, uh, thought uh, number two. So, uh, random thought number three. Troy Aikman. Now, listen, I get it. 
that a lot of people who are professional football players are looking at this this quarterback thing where they're overly protecting the quarterback. I get it, and there have been a couple of bad calls with overzealous officials trying to lay that down to protect the quarterback. But Troy Aikman, as a national broadcaster, can't come on the air and say, "Well, all we're going to do, we're going to, it's going to get to the point where we're putting skirts on the quarterback." First of all, it's a sexist comment, right? If I'm doing sports talk radio, that's a typical call. That's like Kenny from Kensington calling me, going, "Well, Mike, we're going to put some skirts on these quarterbacks." If you're Troy Aikman, you can't say it. Come on, Troy. I think his exact line was, "They got, they need to take the dresses off." Well, whatever it is, take the dresses off or put, whatever it is, you can't say it. I know you're a macho football player. Times have changed. You don't, you don't say, no, not you. I'm talking to Troy. Troy's a macho, not, you're not a macho football player. Troy's a macho football player. You just can't say it. People are going, what, what, how come we're so sensitive with what Troy Aikman said? Because it's a sensitive time and it's just stupid to say something like that and he should know better. All right. Um, number four, maybe I missed this. Listen, I'm Darren, you know me. I love music, and uh, I go all over the place at music. Uh, I'm I'm really heavily into uh, uh, the alternative indie scene right now. And uh, the oh, news break right now. That, Your entire uh, life, you've been into that scene. Yeah, I, I, I've been. Yeah, but I, I tell you, the, the one band I never got was Blink One Eighty Two. And all of a sudden, there's this all this fan. Oh, Blink One Eighty Two is retouring. And I'm going, what, what's all that? What is Blink? What? Why is Blink Eighty Two One Eighty Two so popular? I, I for the life of me, I can't figure it out. Uh, those three knuckleheads. All right, they, they got some catchy songs, and they just bang around. And, and, and but like, is this supposed to be? Why is this a big deal? Am I missing something? I, I yeah. I mean, I I don't know. I would be missing the same thing. I'm a classic rock guy at first. But when it comes to, I recognize what a good band is on the alternative scene, and I certainly don't think of Blink-182 when I think of some of the better bands of that genre. Oh, no, people go nuts. Oh, my God, Blink-182 Blink is retouring. Stop the world. Oh, come on, man. What are we doing here? All right. That was the end of my random thoughts. So we will close with, I know people are waiting for it. People wait for this all the time because either they listen to this podcast because they agree with what I'm saying or they listen to it because they hate my political views, which I love the fact they hate my political views. That's why I call it the dreaded political commentary of the week. And today it involves Alex Jones and um, one of my favorites, Marjorie Taylor Greene. All right. So Alex Jones, this, uh, Sad excuse for a lump of DNA that I, I've never, ever seen before with this InfoWars crap that he's conned people with all these years. Finally, doomsday comes down for him. $965 million settlement and defamation trial to 15 plaintiffs. Um, the judge said that they, that they were uh, defamed by Jones saying that the Sandy Hook massacre was a hoax written by the government who hired actors and all this to support uh, their uh, their views on gun control. Now, never has uh, a more resp- irresponsible thing been said and find this guy is, they're coming down on. Now, they're not going to get three cents out of him because the guy declares bankruptcy and all that stuff. But I, I love the reaction. They Republicans, God love you, but you, you just can't draw a line oh, even away from the rats. Like, you can't even see the rats. So, like, somehow 
amongst Republicans, Alex Jones of all people, this this disturbed lump of DNA is getting support from Republicans, including my favorite girl, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Good Lord. Uh, okay, so here's what Marjorie Taylor Greene says about it. She's sticking up for Alex Jones. No matter what you think of Alex Jones, she says, all he did was speak words. He was not the one who pulled the trigger. Were his words wrong and did he apologize? Yes. That's what freedom of speech is. Freedom to speak words. Political persecution must end. No, that's not what freedom of speech is, you lout. I'll get into that in a second, but I'll defer to a guy that I follow on Twitter a great deal. His name is Nick Francona. Yes, that's a very popular name because he is the son of Terry Francona, the former Phillies manager, current Cleveland Guardians manager, former Red Sox manager. And he actually is a Bucks County native because he grew up here when Terry was managing the Phillies. Uh, he's a former uh, Marine uh, who served in Afghanistan. He was a baseball executive for a while. He ran afoul in a situation with Gabe Kapler out in L.A., but he had the guts to even turn against his own father where there was this sexual harassment thing coming down with Mickey Calloway with the Cleveland Indians, and they kind of enabled it. And he, and he actually criticized his father, and I think I don't know if he even speaks to him anymore. What I like about the guy is he's not afraid to put out his opinions, and most of his opinions have been pretty righteous. So on this whole thing, uh, and he's a great follow on Twitter, by the way, so I recommend it, and I want to have him as a, as a guest on this show. Here's what he has to say. Free speech does not mean, quote, I can say whatever the fuck I want without any consequences. Marjorie Taylor Greene has sex with farm animals as an example of a potentially false statement potentially false statement that I would not say without equivocation or caveat because I try to observe the laws of the land unlike Alex Jones. So you get the point there that this freedom of speech concept doesn't cover everything. In fact, if you're uh, if you know anything about freedom of the speech, the the, the major uh, comment by a Supreme Court justice on freedom of speech was way back in 1919. Oliver Wendell Holmes. I know everybody knows Oliver's work. Albert Wendell Holmes, in a case called Schneck versus the United States, said um, you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. In other words, you can't utter words that are used in a circumstance to create danger or a clear and present danger or circumstances like defamation for people who are grieving. So there is a limit to freedom of speech, Marjorie. And if you had a three nickels of a brain in your head you would actually figure it out all right i'm done that's the dreaded political commentary of the week we'll close on that we'll we'll hit you up next tuesday with another uh, podcast we hope everybody's enjoying it again download the bet rivers app it's a great app for betting if you want to put play the plays that i played if you've done that on the bet rivers app you're ahead of the game right now so download the bet rivers app it's fantastic it And thanks for listening to the podcast. We appreciate all the support out there. Hope you like it. Uh, It's a no-hose-barred podcast. You're not going to agree with everything I say, but that's the beauty of uh, what I've done with the fans in the Philadelphia area for a long time. So everybody have a great weekend. It's Root on the Phillies and the Eagles, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissonelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.